Action Park Media. Official podcast of the supposedly official television show. <laughs> I am uh, locked up in uh, COVID quarantine in Aspen, Colorado. How about you, Ted? How's life over there? You got some medical ailments yourself. Are we allowed to talk about that? It, it, it's been it's been a very interesting couple of weeks for us here. I mean, we, uh, we went from uh, a masterful. By the way, I've said this a lot of times on the podcast, but Ted is. Uh, has experienced, without a doubt, the easiest, simplest production in the history of of the business. Um, the the probably simplest script development and everything. Now, obviously, you know we were all in charge of that, which which made it so. And if everybody hates it, we'll we'll decide that it was a failed script development. But the fact is, is it was extremely smooth. And normally, an independent film casting is a nightmare. This was perfect getting our crew together was perfect and everything so pitches can go many number of ways and uh, i have done hundreds and hundreds of them over the years and we had our first pitch which i believe ted am i wrong is your first pitch meeting or no i've been in a pitch meeting before but never any content that i that that, that was i was involved with like oh this is me producing it but what do you mean like what kind of pitch meeting oh someone was pitching you no, well, yes, people have pitched me, but I've also I was also in a pitch meeting um a few years back I was uh attempting to partner with some guys who were developing a lot of true crime content. Yeah. And they had some ideas uh for some new new stuff. He was a big writer on uh CSI, I believe. He was the head writer. And uh we went in and pitched a few shows that he was working on but that I was going to be partnering with him on uh if they were getting picked up. It turns out that I went to one pitch meeting and decided that was not for me. I didn't think he had his his ducks lined up properly, so I didn't want to be involved in that. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. So you I, left the pitch meeting and passed. I, I left the pitch meeting and I was like, I, I looked at him and his brother was involved as well. And I looked at his brother and I said, hasn't he been writing on CSI for like 12 years? Like, <laughs> is this the first pitch he's ever done? And he said, no. And I said, can you explain what the hell just happened there? And he goes, no, I can't explain it. I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's interesting. So you, know, like, I, All right, you know what? I, this is not for me. After Entourage, I tried to just produce, which, by the way, is I don't mean to diminish it that way because it is such a hard job. Producing has a lot of different titles. But the real producing, which I did a couple of things. I developed a show that uh, I got John Ridley to write, which was awesome, and Spike Lee ended up directing it. It, it didn't go. And, and several other things that were good. But one, I had this writer who was an awesome writer and had an awesome idea. And we got into the pitch meeting at Fox and he like froze like the stutter in uh, my cousin Vinny. And <laughs> it was crazy because he honestly, he had nothing to say. And part of me, when I would do that, um, which was your position in this pitch, I, it was like, I'm not there to, to tell you about the show. I'm there to go, this is the guy we believe in him and here's what he's got. And he completely froze and I wasn't really prepared. So I didn't even really know what his pitch was all about as well as I should have as a producer. And I just started winging it. Um, but we did sell it. <laughs> and, uh, cause I'm, I'm decent on the fly. And, uh, 
he got paid to write that script and it, it never ultimately got made, but you know, it, it is, look, it's a nerve wracking thing. And, uh, for some people, you know, and uh, even for me, it, I'm all like, when I started doing stand-up comedy, I was kind of the same way. If the audience was with me, I got very comfortable and, and it got better. Um, if they weren't with me, you know, I just completely collapsed, which I don't know if we talked about this uh, on this podcast. Maybe we did. But, you know, the one time I went to New York, I really, not to be, not to be arrogant or not to be anything, because I wasn't successful as a stand-up comedian, but... I didn't really bomb where it was just like, oh my God, like I had, I had jokes and, and, you know, they just, they didn't bomb. But when I went to New York and got every single person I knew to come to this comedy club and my parents and my cousins and, and girlfriends from kindergarten and everything. And, and I, I started with an opening new joke and nobody laughed. I completely panicked, but I walked off the stage and uh, maybe we did talk about this, but you know, the next day, I, my I know, best friend. I know I've heard that story. I don't know if you've shared it with our audience, but yeah, I mean, my best friend, my father's best friend called me the next day and said I was ruining my parents' lives. And all my <laughs> friends were like, what the hell? You know, like they actually thought I was funnier than the thing. And all these comedians, there were professional comedians there, but I brought like 300 people, which meant it was my club because uh, it would have been yeah, empty you packed, otherwise. You packed the house that night. Yeah, so I was on the marquee, and I was an amateur, and all the professional comedians who all go up to just get some workouts in, they were like, who the hell is Doug Ellen? And uh, after I bombed, they, they, they never forgot me, and they abused me very, very badly. So, <laughs> um, But in pitch meetings, you know, um, I usually do feel comfortable. I think I, I think I mentioned one pitch meeting to you last week that was uh, the only time I remember, that, which actually wasn't me writing it either. It was actually... I, got a great writer i got jenny bix who uh, is an emmy nominated maybe even emmy winner for uh, sex in the city and a bunch of other things created stuff and uh we had this idea for a threesome show sitcom show where a couple decides to bring in a third for a threesome and they get her pregnant and then they all raise this child together okay <laughs> so which I, I honestly believe they've actually done that show since not that they stole it from me just it's a you know it was an idea but this was actually someone else's idea that i was producing and we were going into the same person that I just told you about where I winged it and sold the show. And when we went in with this threesome idea, I was like, Oh, we're going to just crush this. I mean, we got a great female writer and she loves me and it's all good. And, and I remember Jenny, who again is amazing. And we ultimately sold it to CBS. It didn't go, but we sold it by the way. This should let you know how many things, you know, get pitched, don't even get sold, but then, how many get sold and then don't get made. But this one sold to CBS with a big writer and she wrote an amazing script too. But uh, we went in to pitch it and it was a threesome and I forgot exactly how she started the pitch, which I thought was phenomenal. But whatever she said, the executive who I thought loved me and I could sell anything to said, this is about a threesome. And Jenny said, yeah. And she goes, I don't even like a twosome. And that was so clearly the end of the pitch. I'm not even still sure what exactly that meant. But if she was what going through mean? a divorce or I, I don't know. She doesn't want to hear about sex. I, I, I have no idea. By the way, that pitch was really good. And Jenny Bix, if you're out there, we should go sell that show. I mean, sure, you've made a lot of money since then, but I'd like to get on board. Um, but, but anyway, uh, we, we did not sell that. So you got to see me pitch, which I walked in with. Probably I could have spoken for 40 minutes if I had to. I like a pitch to be, um, especially since there was a done pilot that they already liked and were already knew what it was and already knew the cast. And we didn't have to explain all that, which is a big part of the pitch. 
Um, I probably spoke for a, a nice rambling 25 minutes, I would say. Would you, would you say that's accurate? I think that's probably about right. Yeah, so so I, I would like it a little shorter, but the energy in the room was so good. They were so receptive, and it was, you know, there was back and forth, so it wasn't just me, and, and it felt great. And the best thing you want in the room, which is so rare, is somebody say they want it. That's it. Let's do it. Let's make it. And then you go, okay, great. And then you leave, and then and, and you wait for them to call your agent. Now, I don't have an agent, so there was really no one to call, which, which is part of our problem now. So I think they're looking for my phone number. But um, what, what do you think? How was your feeling after that pitch? I mean, I, I thought it was great. A, a uh, I thought your pitch and the explanation of the story and where the season was going was great. Um, you know, I, I've obviously heard a, a decent amount of the ideas and the direction, so I wasn't surprised by it, but I think you brought them into that world very nicely. And I think they were very excited about it. They were even laughing during your pitch, which is, um, I think. Any tears? Did you notice any tears or no? Maybe later. I think there was like an insult that was thrown around <laughs> <laughs> by, by accident. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the whole group, there, there were three, there were three people in the room with us and um, they all, they all seemed to, I think, get it, like it. It's always nice to be in a room where you're not trying to explain things to people. And I think the pilot really takes care of that, right? Because people already know the framework that you're working in um, and they can imagine yeah, these, these people. That's true. That's true. But I still do think there is, uh, and even as I went forward with the, the the pitch document, the story document that you were so desperate to get your hands on uh, months, <laughs> many moons ago, um, you know, till I really started sitting down with it, because I do go through those those nightmares where I wake up and go, is this really a show? Is there a second episode? What is this about? And I, I think a lot of writers go through that. What I feel even better about than the pilot, um, and we've talked a little bit about it, I think we have a better second episode than the first, which makes me so excited going forward. Um, and by the way, that's that's usual. Like, even with Entourage, which... You know, Kevin Dillon, which is one of my favorite stories when uh, we did the DVD uh, commentary on like, I think it was season eight or the whole box set or whatever it is. And we sat around at the Roosevelt Hotel drinking a bottle of whiskey while we do this. And Dillon got a little comfortable. And he's like, well, you know, the pilot was crap, right? And I was like, what? So I, I disagree with that statement. But I understand what he's saying, because, you know, even with Entourage, the third episode, is a whole other level to me of, of where our storytelling sort of finds its whole groove and where we know how we can tell multiple stories at the same time and separate guys because, you know, um, it's not that it's easy, but it's easier to keep everybody together, do a little 21 minute thing where there's no B stories going and C stories going. Once you get other stories going, um, it starts to get more complicated and it starts to yeah. get a little different. You know, I used to have, serious problems with that with turtle and drama on uh, entourage like if they were away from vince and eric how do i get them back together because you want you know their comedy with the guys and and if ari's in his own story how do you kind of combine it so i'm actually really excited now from two and three and while i've been uh which we didn't really get into where i'm i'm at right now i said i'm stuck in colorado we'll get into that in our medical history right now but um i really have episode three i have a really good hold on episode three now and um, while I wish uh, we actually received an actual offer that I thought we were going to get because I posted it on Instagram, which I wasn't jumping the gun when someone says you're getting an offer, you're getting an offer. doesn't mean it's going to be a good offer, by the way. The offer might be uh, 
you know, uh, I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. You can take yeah. the gun of the cannoli. What was the line you can uh, from the Godfather? Um, I told him, I gave him a pen. I told him either his signature or his brains would be on the contract. So, um, so anyway, uh, we didn't, we didn't get that yet, but I don't know why I, I feel that we are. I mean, uh, I don't feel anything's changed, but, uh, no, we'll I, I mean, I think they were, I think, you know, the way we left it, they were going to try and huddle up internally with their production group and figure out budgets and put everything together so we can, you know, lock down our cast and, and, and start taking this thing out. Yeah, so it, it, it'll be interesting to what to see. I spoke to Steve Bellamy today, who's been great to us, who um, is the president of Kodak, and he actually said uh, something just as an aside if we went this way. Sundance apparently is doing some TV thing. Like, it's getting harder and harder for them to get movies because they just go right to the streamers and sell them. But uh, I don't know. It could be interesting, too. I would love to see this in a, in a, in a room. And also yesterday, um, the way Entourage happened, um, a friend of mine who's a producer named Dylan Sellers, he um, and I pitched a television show. I, I Actually, I'd never done a television show. And he said, let's pitch this idea or something like that. And we, I went with him and we got turned down everywhere. I'd made two movies at this point. They both sold to studios, which should be considered an achievement. But you know, at this point, all of a sudden, it looked like my, my career was winding down after Kissing a Fool didn't make any money. And um, he said, you got to get into TV. I have so many friends that are in TV. They make so much money and you're better than them and this and that. And I said, I don't know anything about TV besides that I watch it. I don't, I've never written a script. I've never worked with anyone in TV. I've just written screenplays for movies. And um, he said, write a script. And I wrote that uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm script. Like while I was on the phone driving home from the Valley with him from a failed pitch at the CW or UPN, whatever it was at the time going, I cannot believe I can't sell a show to the UPN that I don't even want to be on. And um, I came up with that curb spec that I wrote that I, I gave to my manager who ultimately, you know, was Mark's manager and said, we got this idea. So, oh, so I didn't real I didn't realize that Dylan was the one who put your, the bug in your ear about doing that. Oh, a hundred percent, you know, and, uh, and Dylan, very funny guy. And he was also, he was a guy who read one of my first screenplays and, and, helped get it sold and wanted to make it. And then he ultimately switched jobs. So it got stuck in a studio, but so he's, he's been around me for a long time and is, is a good guy and a good producer. Anyway, he, he watched show and absolutely loved it. So uh, I don't know. I don't know whether he's got something he can do or not, but you know, it's, it's good to hear the reaction has been really good. And also the reaction when I pitch what's going forward, which I told him and actually I was on the phone with Jerry Ferrara earlier today, just telling him, cause he just watched uh he had seen the first cut of Ramble on, but he just watched the new cut this morning. And I just told him a couple of things about what was going forward. And, and he was really excited about it too. So hopefully we're moving, but the good news for me is because I like to write at the pace that I'm writing at. And I know if they call and say, okay, go, I'm going to go into complete panic mode. So I get a little break like this and I feel like in the next week I'll have episode three also. And if the, uh, we go another six or seven weeks. We might have all. We might have episodes. twenty-one episodes by the time. Yeah, that's true. We could do a network show. Let's do network. CBS. We might already syndicate it before we film another episode. We'll have a hundred episodes. So, well, let's well, let's take good. a let's take a let's take a moment hiatus to explain why it is you're stuck in Colorado. So my trip to Colorado starts with me gimping off the plane after a a an amazing pickleball performance uh, before I left. Uh, 
Oh man, I played, I played really felt really good about my game. And uh, I know Matt Manass and Wes, who I'm Wes Burns, who I'm playing in a, a charity tournament with, I think we're going to be lined up against Drew Brees and Matt at some point during this tournament. So I'm hoping I'm healthy, but anyway, I played felt really good, but in the middle of the game, something behind my knee was really bothering me. And, um, and 10 days later, it was still killing me. And I was leaving you and you recommended I, I call a PI guy who Bernie, who was awesome and came to my house that night before I left for Colorado. And he thought my knee might have some serious problems to it and recommended really getting an MRI as quickly as possible. So I called Dr. Snivy, who we both know who's awesome. And I said, I'm going to Colorado. Is there anything you can do? And it was, it was so great. He set me up with an MRI in Colorado. And I really thought, because I couldn't walk when I got here, that I, I might have tore my ACL playing pickleball, which, you know, John McEnroe was kind of making fun of that and saying, you know, all these old people who don't think they have to stretch or work out. But by the way, I stretched for an hour and a half before I played that day. <laughs> I brought a professional stretcher in to make sure I was limber and could feel good because I play much better when I do that. And um, I got the MRI. It turned out it was negative. Um, thank God. Um, and I got a cortisone shot, but still it's now seven, it's now nine, 10 days, 11 days later, and I'm still here and my knee is still bothering me, but I then got COVID for the first time, um, with Sarah, who's seven months pregnant. Um, and we were heading, uh, we were supposed to leave that day and decided we shouldn't get on the plane, um, because we didn't want to affect anybody. So now I had to come back to Aspen, Colorado, to the most expensive place on earth. For real, it's really crazy. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not uh, a, it's not an easy place to quarantine. I mean, it's just you know I'm looking out at this beautiful view. Uh, you know, I can't really. I mean, and again, I know there's going to be listeners who go go outside, stop being a pussy, whatever. You know what? We've been sick. I've had a fever for several days, and I'm not worried about dying at all. I'm fine. Sarah's doing good. I don't want to give it to anybody else. You know, yeah. and our friend who's also in Ramble on, she's very sick. She's got 104. She's skinny, young, and, and healthy. And um, so whatever it is, again, we're not talking about dying, and I don't want to get into a whole COVID discussion, but I chose not to get on a plane uh, and put out the possibility that I was going to affect other people. So we're doing seven days, and then we will uh, go home, hopefully. And, when, uh, so when, when, are, when are you planning to, when are you planning to leave? Tomorrow is day seven, so we'll leave tomorrow. Okay, and, so uh, you've been you've been in quarantine now for a, a little over a week. Yeah, so unless unless we have fever, that's it. You know, um, which I haven't had fever in at least forty eight hours already. So unless something happens tonight, yeah, we're, we're going home. My dogs need me, so um, that's the plan. <laughs> And you, you had some medical things too. Oh, I mean, my God. So, so you, you left, our pitch meeting was last Tuesday. It feels like 10 years ago already. Um, last two Tuesday. Two Tuesdays which, ago. Yeah, which was 10, uh, 10 or 11 days ago, right? Yeah. You left the next morning for Colorado. So that was Wednesday. On Wednesday, I woke up and I was exhausted. I didn't get a good night's sleep on Tuesday night. I couldn't explain why. But the right side of my face was like a little numb, um, almost like I was just exhausted. And on Thursday, I woke up and I could not feel one side of my face or it was very numb. Uh, and I thought I had a stroke. Um, 
I was very concerned because I couldn't, I couldn't focus. I, it was, it was very, very disorienting. I was actually supposed to go visit my daughter for her parents weekend at college. I had to, I had to cancel. My wife went without me and um, I went to go see a doctor. And as it turns out, I was diagnosed with Bell's palsy, which many people have come to know as Bieber fever because Justin Bieber had a bout of Bell's palsy over the summer and he had to cancel his tour. So to all my fans, I'm still doing the podcast. I'm not going <laughs> to let anything, anything stop me, but Is he already um, recovered from what I have heard. We have some friends in common from what I have heard. He is doing better now. Um, and I've now Dice, been Dice Clay had it as well. He did. And I heard, I heard Dice had a pretty bad uh, he, he case did, of he it. He did. He did. Um, but he's okay. And I don't know how long ago it was, but I had heard that he that he had it. Uh, I'm, you know, the biggest piece that's very very difficult is my left eye won't close. Um, I'm Still. actually on. I'm actually on Zoom, so I might be able to show people on the camera. So if I go to blink, you can watch my blinking. Only my right eye is going. Holy shit! So my yeah, left I don't know eye. If I I don't really know if this will ever trouble. be on camera, but Jesus. My left side was was not moving at all. As it turns out, it's only been about a week for me since my diagnosis. I'm already regaining a lot of movement in my face. So my whole entire left side was completely frozen. Nothing moved at all. Um, now I'm getting, my smile is coming back a little bit. My cheeks are moving. Uh, so, but so how does this affect your eye getting uh, fluid? Well, that's the problem. So the reason why I was so disoriented was my eye, because it wasn't closing and hadn't closed for a couple of days, I didn't realize it. Um, it was overproducing tears. So try to imagine if you just did bicep curls for three days straight, like at some point your muscle would just pop and, and go like the tear ducts were so overworked. I was, it was like just drenching my face. It looked like I was crying constantly. Um, I wonder and, if I can use you in the next pitch meeting when I get to some more emotional points. Yeah, I can, yeah, don't worry, I can cry on demand. Um, but uh, it was, um, it was, it, 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 it was, and still is pretty tough because the 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 left eye not closing is still the piece that I don't have. So I'm literally having to tape my eye shut in order to try to sleep. And as you can imagine, that is not going very well. Oh my um, god. It's very That's uncomfortable. Uh, I've I've gone probably last night I actually got a decent decent amount of sleep, but before that, for five or six days, I, I was maybe sleeping two or three hours a night. I was starting to lose my mind. Oh man. So that's you know, from the high of uh of this <laughs> this great pitch to this last eleven days has been something. But uh um, yeah. you know, it, it's interesting though, because I want to talk about um your potential. Tourette's diagnosis because one thing that we talked about one thing that we talked about in the pitch before we went in there and uh we probably talked about it this on the podcast which maybe we should because we have no idea who actually listens to this podcast and doesn't which maybe a buyer will but what I said to Ted very very crystal clearly you know similar to our old conversation about don't don't comment on my dialogue this is this past isn't about that I said Ted do not mention in this pitch meeting that I have written another script. 
Now, I'll explain the reason behind that, but also for anyone who's ever seen Get Shorty, I want you to remember the scene where John Travolta tells Gene Hackman not to mention a thing about a, a script, I think, called Mr. Lovejoy. And uh, <laughs> so actually, he tells him not to say a thing. Do you remember this scene, Ted? John Travolta tells Gene Hackman the gangsters are coming to his office, and he says, don't say a thing. Don't introduce me. Don't do anything. I'm just going to basically sit here and intimidate him. And as soon as they walk in, Gene Hackman panics and starts going, we got this script, Mr. Lovejoy. We got this, whatever he does. So I said, Ted, the reason you don't tell them that there's another script is, which I'll, I'll compare this to Entourage. After we walked out of the Entourage pitch meeting, which was me and Ari and uh, Steve Levinson, they bought it in the room, which again is very rare, which big difference from this because they just paid a script fee, which is $50,000. This... We don't know what it is, but they have to somehow finance an entire show. But they said they wanted in the room. But I, I was there with, like, all my documents ready to pitch. And to be honest with you, I didn't say much because Ari kind of took over the whole room. But when we left, he calls us and says, okay, I'm making the deal, even though he wasn't my agent. And I'd never met him before the meeting. I said, well, do they want to see any of my, my script samples? You know, and he was like, they bought it. Would you like them to unbuy it? So yeah. basically, <coughs> excuse me. Basically, they said they want it, they love it, all good. And then Ted brought up this second script, which the reason I don't want that brought up is because they then may go, oh, we'd love to read that. Then, God forbid, they don't like it, then you're dead. Now, the truth is, in reality, and it wasn't, it wasn't such a big deal for a number of reasons. Number one, those guys are they're great and they get it. Number two, at some point, we're going to have to show them the second script that there's not going to be a show anyway, even if they make deals. So um, with Entourage, we were picked up for the pilot. And as I was talking about early on, the third episode, which Larry Charles wrote the amazing first draft of it, which was the Jimmy Kimmel episode. And uh, we got a call from Chris Albrecht um, that day. And, and honestly, we did 50 drafts of it. I was very particular with what I wanted. And Larry was amazing. And, and being able to hear what I said and do it. And I was getting very frustrated because I, I, I'd never worked with other writers before. And I would say something to Larry and then he would do a pass. The guy was incredible. He could just do a pass. I'm like, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. And then I think Larry just said, let me, let me do something. And Larry wrote this draft of a script where I was in full panic mode at this point because I'm like, oh my God, what if nobody could write these scripts? What if there is no show? And I remember Rob Weiss and I both got the script at the same time and we went to the bathroom <laughs> not together but we were sitting in stalls next to each other reading and i don't think we wanted to come out and the script was was genius in a way that literally made me cry it was about drama having this ex-wife and this relationship and all this stuff and it was really emotional and and beautiful and unbelievable and i was like holy shit and I was like, I came back. I've always been like this, which is why, uh, you know, one day we'll get into the situation where we're in with this fucking writer. But I always, when I find someone who I think might be able to do it, I want them to do it because I don't ever want to do it again if I can avoid it. So I was like, wow, this guy can write everything, you know? And uh, I sent that script to HBO. And the next day, Chris Albrecht calls uh, Lev and I for an emergency meeting and basically tells us he's about to shut down the show. <laughs> Because this is not the show he purchased. He does not want to watch romance. He does not want to watch like these guys in uh, heartfelt, emotional conversations or any of this stuff, <laughs> whatever it was. So, but anyway, it did. That storyline did not stick in the episode. But ultimately, we obviously figured out and got the uh, the the Jimmy Kimmel episode, which was amazing and kind of 
in my mind, led us to where we would ultimately keep going with the show. But um, with our show, I think we have a very strong, clear foundation of the tone that it's going to be. And I think the second episode builds on that tone. And, you know, as Connolly says, it's funnier, which is good, but it's always, first episodes always, you got to set up, you got to set up things and you got to put some balls in motion, throw, th- throw some things in the air, and then you got to start delivering on them. And hopefully it will keep getting better and better. But I feel like episode three, I'm getting a good handle on it now. And, and, and then we'll get going. So, um, that's it, though. That was a pitch. That was a pitch. So we, we really, though, in, in reality, if we did have someone repping us right now, we would probably be pitching 20 meetings in two weeks. And I believe, based on the response we get, we'd have a bunch of offers. So I'm, I'm not sure if we're doing this the right way or not, but I, I like these guys. And, I, and part of me, just like has been from the beginning, uh, I just want to work with people that we want to work with, that get it and that we're kind of aligned with. I obviously would like to make as much money as possible, but my firm belief, which is why I told that guy that we will talk about one day, this show is all on the come. We're all working for nothing on the hopes that we're going to build something that turns into something really great. And my belief is, and that doesn't mean I'm working for free, I will get paid a good amount if we do season one. But my belief is if we get this air, this show on the air for season one, we're going to go for a long time and it's going to lead to a lot of great things. And that's how I've always looked at, at building things much more entrepreneurial than I think a lot of people in this business look who just want that instantaneous paycheck. And it's not, it's not really what I'm looking for, although I could use it at this point because the stock market is about to implode. The real estate market's collapsing like a wet taco, which is a great line from the in-laws, the original in-laws. And uh, I got a baby coming any second. So, um, so I got some, I do have some finance and this Aspen hotel room is going to be the end of me by the end of this week. So, but uh, you know, it is, it is imperative to get some money, but you know, I, I really am still looking at the big picture and wanting to put a team in place that is all on the same page of doing the same thing. I've, kind of talked about this early on, but Entourage, after we developed it for two years, the executive who was my closest executive there when we were on the set, she looked at me and I remember the line, it was when Dylan was talking about uh, all good actors listen, you know, and 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 uh, Vince said that, all good actors listen. And uh, he's like, right, Johnny? And, and drama was like, huh? You know, and uh, yeah. and she, she looked at me and said, I might actually watch the show. And she'd been developing the script for two years. And I was like, huh? what do you mean? <laughs> and she was like, you know what? I don't think I really saw the tone of this show until it all came together, even though I've been the person helping you develop this script for two years. And I think a lot of that is why it was so important to me to get this on film. So people don't read the script and I have to debate with them what the tone of it is or what the thought of it is. Now they see it and they either get it or they don't, you know? Yep. Yep. I agree. And I think, um, I think in the next few weeks we're going to have a pretty good indication of where we're at. So I'm I'm looking forward. Maybe even by next week we'll we'll have an update for uh, people and and we can give them some some good news. Well, hopefully we'll both be healthy by then. But I would like to have I would like to have another script done. So the second I get home, because I'm without a computer here, so I'm kind of writing scenes on my phone. Um, but when I get home, I'm going to try to blast out episode three as quickly as I can. I, I just want to be as prepped as possible. And maybe we, you know, maybe we can do a 10 episode first season, which would be nice. Um, yeah. it's two extra paychecks. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think I think with you especially, and 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 certainly the tact that we've taken this whole time, just put out put out good stuff, and and it'll all take care of itself. So, yeah. Well, I think that's for everybody. It is, you know. And I was just talking to our our friend with COVID. Actually, I wanted to connect her. She knows him. She's friends with Adam W. I thought they could do a great uh, a great little bit right now. You know, like uh, she's an actor. She's got COVID. She's adorable, but I mean, she's suffering through it. I said, you should do a little viral video right now, which would be great, you know, where maybe her and I, I wanted to get Adam W to do something where it's like a hinge date. And, you know, a lot of people, I, I, we were just uh, at a party with a bunch of people and a lot of single girls were talking about these dating apps and how nobody, like everybody just sits there and texts, you know, over and over. They never say, let's go out. And, and Sarah says, I was like, a weird guy because I connected on the dating app. I said, Hey, want to meet for a drink? I didn't say where you're from. What do you do? I'm like, why would I waste my time on a text? Like, let's meet. If we don't like each other, we'll go home. You know, we'll have a drink and we'll go right, home. Cause we so, are, we are going to eventually have to be in the same room together. <laughs> but apparently people don't do that. They waste a lot of time talking. So I told her she should do a video with, with Adam where they, it's like a first hinge date and she picks up in the middle of 104 COVID bout. And, uh, cause she doesn't want to miss the date. Cause by the way, that's what I found at this party that all these women are like, like, I don't understand nobody. And they're pretty girls. Like nobody's asking them to go out. Like nobody is, they're just keep talking to them and getting more details about them. And, and I, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Maybe they're trying to get your bank account information so they can steal from you or something. I, I don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Why would you, if you see someone and they look attractive to you, go meet them. And if they don't look like their picture and, or you don't like them, you go home. Like, what's the big deal? So It doesn't seem like picture. a mystery, but uh, I've been married for 21 years, so what would I know? You can't really speak about it. <laughs> I, have no, I have no comment whatsoever. Do people still you're talk like, to each other? I don't know. You know, like, I prefer to stay on text with my wife than be in a, in a room together. <laughs> I prefer if, if she was somewhere else and we could just talk on text every once in a while. <laughs> you know, that was the old Richard Pryor joke. Richard Pryor, you know, my wife said, I want to do something to spice things up. What can we do? And he said, how about you go away for like a year and a half? <laughs> <laughs> that would definitely change things. <laughs> so anyway, let's, uh, well, uh, what else can we talk about? I've been watching a lot of TV here or reality. I'm, if I don't make it back into the, uh, the, the upper echelons of the television business. I'm going to become a chef. Hold on. Sarah's yapping to me. Oh, yeah. We did see a lot of moose and bears out here. Okay. Not sure what, what more I can add to that, but we saw live <laughs> moose and live bears. Whoever wants to talk about Sarah. Sarah thought I should throw that in, but I, I, I think, I think you guys should go back to texting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I've been watching so much. I'm so depressed because this food show is these two food shows that I love are over. But this one is a uh, man versus master, which I swear I didn't even say master anymore. So I, I'm scared to say it because I know when I was looking at houses, which the the house in the desert is almost ready, by the way. But when I was looking at houses, I said, "Where? Which is the master?" And and I was uh, gently uh, told that you cannot say master bedroom anymore. It is not um, PC. Okay. Uh, apparently, that is is of slave times, and I, I don't want to get into my and my you thoughts can't, on and obviously. You can't say his and her bathrooms anymore or closets. In a house, you can't do that either. No, I don't know. I just saw you can't say homecoming king, king and queen anymore. They want to say royalty. They call it um, well, they call it primary bedroom now instead of master. 
Right, right. But you can't say homecoming king and queen. How about that? Which I'm actually bummed that Scotty is not on this podcast today because Scotty claims that Kevin Connolly forced everyone at Action Park Media to watch his homecoming victory as king in high school. Apparently he's got it on whatever type of, of film was available was available in, in 1975 or whatever. Oh my it was. God, I want to see that. But Kevin Connolly was the homecoming king. But anyway, the show I was watching is Man vs. Master, which is uh, great master chefs go against, you know, regular chefs. And it was awesome. And then there's a second show on Hulu called, called Chefs vs. Wild where they drop two chefs off in the wilderness and they have to forage for their own food. And then they meet at this outdoor kitchen and have a cook-off. I don't know. I love it. And I've decided what I'm saying is if I don't make it back to the upper echelons of TV, uh, I'm going to become a chef. Um, really? I would love it. I'm not sure I'm neat enough is the problem because uh, chefs are really, they keep a clean kitchen. I think, I wonder if there's any that are like kind of Jackson Pollock slobs, you know, throwing <laughs> stuff all over the place, but but um, yeah, Sarah Sanderson cooks a lot. She's not the neatest chef in the world, but I, I really want to learn to cook really well. And um, I'm going to start taking some culinary classes. So anyway, that's the whole other, you know? All right. Well, thoughts. And also I, Dylan is up for, by the way, if anyone listens out there that is involved with, with uh, chef versus wild or whatever it's called on Hulu, Kevin Dylan's up for the celebrity version. We can drop him off in the middle of nowhere let him forage for food and he will, he will come together and cook something. So I think that sounds be pretty awesome. Wild and wouldn't that be awesome to watch? <laughs> I don't understand why everybody keep, wants to keep going out into the wild. What's the deal with that? Like what's wrong with just going into, into a kitchen? You know, I think there's something I, I appreciate it. There's something about really going out there and finding the food and, and, you know, and not wasting all the stuff and all the crap that gets wasted in, in today's society. That's also one of the things, one of the challenges they make these people do on both shows on Massive or Chef. Like they make them do a, a thing, three ingredients, and you have to use every single part of the ingredient. If you take a, a lemon, you have to use the lemon seeds, the rind, everything, you know, and uh, you know, it's to make, less waste and i i think it's i think it's both interesting and fascinating when they turn it into something good you know so mm. i don't know i like all that stuff and being an aspen and seeing just how beautiful it is here and natural and just you know you want to i really just want to get away from la i want to go make the show for four months in la i want to go edit it somewhere else and i just i've had enough you know yeah well pretty soon that uh, desert house will be there and you can type away in there well yeah the typing can be done anywhere but the filming I wonder, maybe we move Ramble on to Savannah, Georgia. What do you think about that? It's a beautiful I place. I, I, don't, I mean, I'm sure it is, but I just don't know how Savannah, Georgia is going to help us. But <laughs> I don't know. What's, what's, how's L.A. helping us? A lot, of, a lot of people would have to move in order for that to work out. Well, that's true. Cost. I see. You're thinking like a producer now. I that's like... right. I'm thinking like a producer. Uh, all right. Is there any other wisdom you can impart? Pitch meetings. We're one for one. Um, it's the only one we've had. Quit, quit while you're ahead. I think is the yeah is the only wisdom I've got. But All right, well, we I'm looking. See. I'm looking forward to to getting their response, and I'm also looking forward to doing more pitches and and hearing what the the market at large says because I, I think this is great, and we've had a number of people now, even in the intervening weeks. Each week, everybody seems to want to come out come out of the woodwork and and watch the episode if they're in our background, and and we've been giving it to them and. And everybody has been giving it just nothing but positive, 
positive yeah. reviews. So. And, and by the way, we're not we're not waiting for the response. The response was let's do it. We're waiting for an actual offer. So that's right. We're we'll waiting for the paperwork. Yeah, we're waiting for the the money. That's right. <laughs> is that Jimmy Walker commercial? People aren't even know who that is. Said yes. Jimmy Walker from from uh, Good Times. Yeah. Do you see that commercial? Yeah, it's money's. for like a reverse mortgage or something like that. It really, it really, um, it's one of those sounds. There's a couple of sounds that I just, that torture me. Um, that is one of them. It's like when I hear it, it's also that bye thing that, you know, we talked about with the other thing, but I have Sarah and her friends do this. It's from some stupid commercial, which <laughs> I, it might be Flo or something. Flo is another one. I, I'm just rambling a little bit right now, but like some of these commercials that they replay over and over. And I know Flo is, God bless her. I'm sure she's made millions of dollars being the progressive person. I'm really, I've had enough of her. I can't take it anymore. Um, she's on my TV too much, but the Jimmy Walker one where he goes, monies. Yeah. It's a little like Vince in an episode of Entourage, but it, 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 it tortures me at night. There's times when I, I wake up and I hear it and it, it's just, it's not good. So, Well, I think we've got a nice, exciting week ahead of us. Hopefully you're going to get home safe. And um... let's, let's hope that would really put a damper on things. <laughs> Well, I mean, as planned, like your COVID won't set you back anymore. Not, not, not that there's going to happen something happen with a plane. Um, I don't even mind talking that, by the way, because I now have two kids and, and a third on the way. And the truth is, like, I love this show, and I believe, uh, you know, I want it to leave a nice, long-lasting legacy. But if something happened to me, whether it's after episode one or episode forty-seven, like, what would you be? What would be your move as producer? Like, what do you have? Do you have any backup thoughts on that? That's where you run into these problems, like. You know, we've got we've got a cast of let's say five irreplaceable people, like, and then you got me, which may or may not be irreplaceable. But <coughs> what would your thought be? Where would you go? So I think the question <laughs> you're you're asking me, just so I can make sure I understand it, is: Have I had any fantasies about you not being available? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or dying? No, or that would never dead. that never crossed my mind. Um, because <laughs> you well, you should think about it as producer. You should always have that in you know, your cap and. I've, I've, as, as anything in business, you, you think about where the fragilities are and, and where the vulnerabilities are. And I've thought about those things. I've thought about it with both our cast and you as the, as the head writer of this whole thing and, and creator of this world, you know, um, I, I, it's a, it's a problem that I can't solve at the moment. Um, but I'm sure that it's solvable at some point. I, I wouldn't, well, I just, I, I wouldn't want to confront it to be honest with you. So Hopefully that doesn't happen. If I go, do go down, and I'm not suggesting he would ever do it, you'd have to break out that big checkbook of yours and a big wallet. But uh, have Alexander Payne take over. I'm, I'm very excited. They're doing a, I wouldn't call it a sequel, but they're doing another um, a pairing with Alexander Payne and Paul Giamatti. Yes. Um, and I can't wait to see what it is. Like that's, you know, and that's how I know, and, and people who love film and stuff, when, when you love a writer and a director, usually the stuff they're going to turn out is going to be stuff that you like. And just putting those two guys together, um, I think Giamatti is one of the best ever. Um, I don't yeah. think Billions has uh, serviced him as well as it possibly could, but um, I just, I really want to see him back to that, to that whatever. And I don't mean it'll be similar to Sideways at all. I don't think the character, whatever. I just want to see him working with a master like that. And my point is, is I, I, I kind of have a dream that if something did happen to me, you'd get someone that good who'd see what we have here and go, I see a way that I can, you know, further enhance this. So, well, 
I see those times now. You look like you're looking up at the sky like what? You're looking for heaven. There, there, I, I just noticed I think a mosquito just entered the room that I'm in. I'm trying to not get bit. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Malaria now, too. That would be yeah. good, uh... dengue fever. <laughs> it's just so we, we got to get healthy. So we have to stay healthy. And uh, I don't know. I guess that's it. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. All right. Well, I hope you're feeling better and uh, travel safe and um, we'll catch up and hopefully we'll have some good news next week. I hope. I hope. Bye-bye. Ramble on.